The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Thank you very much, Eamon. It is the hard shoulder. It's Anton in for Kieran. Now we're moving to RTE. And as you heard earlier on, the issue of who it was that had that car, because Adrian Lynch at the Oireachtas Committee this week said that a member of staff had a car on loan um, for five years and when asked, uh, indicated that that member of staff had given it back on Friday. Now, it has to be said, it turns out now that the member of staff had given it back the Friday, the week previous, but we have since discovered that the individual in question was Marty Morrissey and, of course, all the focus has gone on Marty Morrissey because he is paid as a staff member. He is permanent and pensionable within RTE. He isn't a freelance contractor paid through an external company, although in terms of level of, pro- of, of profile and association with the brand, that is a relatively fine point. But nonetheless, he has put out a statement where he said at the end that he has apologised to RTE, to his managers and his colleagues for any embarrassment or difficulty has caused them. And he apologised to any viewers or listeners who may feel let down by his actions. And he said it was never his intention to let anyone down, least of all himself. Meanwhile, we have other issues emerging with RTE. We now know that Noel Kelly and Ryan Tuberty, who uh, jointly issued a statement, or rather issued correspondence to the Oireachtas Committee through their solicitors, they are going to be attending both the Oireachtas Public Accounts Committee and the Oireachtas Media Committee this coming Tuesday. Meanwhile, we have had public interactions from the Media Minister, Catherine Martin, and from the incoming uh, incoming Director General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst. Uh, Catherine Martin has continued the trend of taking a fairly different tone than she did at the outset. I met today with the chair of the RTE board, Shuni Rahali, the incoming director general of RTE, Kevin Backhurst, and the deputy director general, Adrian Lynch. I made clear that I'm not satisfied with the way in which information has been provided to the RTE board, to the public, and to the Oireachtas. The drip feed of information over the past two weeks has been another blow to RTE and has caused untold harm. It was a constructive meeting with a full and frank exchange of views. I express my concerns about staff morale at RTE and the damage that has been done to the relationship between RTE and the Oireachtas. I emphasised to the incoming Director-General that it is now critical that he works from day one on Monday to change the tone and culture between the executive and the board and staff. I express my disappointment at the lack of engagement the executive has had with staff in the past two weeks And I welcome that RTE senior management will meet RTE trade unions tomorrow about the ongoing crisis at the broadcaster. In the spirit of beginning a real and meaningful reset, I also stressed that the new DG must take immediate steps to publicly speak on Monday to the widening gulf between RTE and its most important stakeholder, its audience. A relationship that has been so considerably damaged in this debacle. The Director General committed, the incoming Director General committed to full cooperation with the independent root and branch examination and the forensic accountant that will be appointed next week. And it was agreed that these actions would complement the work and reform of RTE that he is planning. Mr. Backhurst reassured me of his plans to reconstitute the Executive Board, his plans to engage with staff, and to introduce new processes to restore confidence in the management of RTE. And I I now expect these to be addressed promptly. The Minister spoke about a reset. There were some indications of the nascent forms of that reset from Kevin Backers becoming, to the best of my knowledge, the first RTE executive since the scandal broke to speak on anything other than their own 6-1 news. He engaged with a number of journalists after the meeting with the Minister. 
I told the minister, set out a little bit about my plans, which I'll be announcing on Monday in more detail. My job is to restore trust. Clearly, that's been severely damaged, and again, I apologise for that. But that's my job, you know, is to restore trust in this organisation. Um, and that's what I will try and do. And I'll be setting out a lot more detail on Monday about how we intend to do that. So that's Kevin Backhurst. Among the issues that have emerged um, in the last couple of days in the Oireachtas Committee meetings, one of them was the massive loss on the Late Late Show or the Late Late Toy Show, the musical. 2.2 million euro gone on that. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be speaking to Alan Hughes because apart from being um, TV3 presenter, um, Alan Hughes, sorry, Virgin Media presenter, I should say, TV3 back in the day, um, Alan Hughes has been running one of the most successful pantomimes in the country for about two decades and therefore has an insight into the likelihood of success that that endeavour had and the kind of costs that had racked up. Before that, though, we're joined by the former commercial director of RTE, Willie O'Reilly, a man who was my boss for many years. Um, Willie, as commercial director, can we start with the expenses that have come in here? Because some of the expenses are, are... evidently sensible. There are hotel rooms that are incurred where you could imagine people had to go and meet clients and all the rest of it. But some of the kind of things, whether it be five grand's worth of flip-flops or 138,000 euros worth of tickets, when you saw that as commercial director, and some of it overlaps with your period as commercial director, can you stand over all of that? Can the organisation stand over all of that? Well, well, let's, without being too defensive, I never got flip-flops. Just remember, cash was not paid for these items. So people in RT are mandated by the legislation, and not by the Director General, by the legislation, to act commercially. And if that means having summer parties or entertaining or having golf days, which are carried on by other media companies in this country, that's what they have to do. And so I've been concerned, actually, a lot of people in, in, in Twitter are having a lot of fun, and I get it, about the flip-flops, right? And I can say it looks bizarre. But people should remember the license fee did not go to buy the flip-flops. In fact, that is the wonder of the barter. No cash changed hands. So, in other words, people are able to do stuff that they're mandated to do by legislation. The, the barter account has real value and the barter account can be turned into cash. That was evidenced by the payment to, to uh, Ryan Tuberty. So it is not valueless to the corporation. Absolutely. And I agree. And in all the noise, have we lost the signal? The signal was that the account, a legitimate financial instrument, was used to hide payments to an on-air presenter. No issue about that's wrong. But now we've so much noise, there's so much going on. I know Alan is going to have a lot of things to say about this mad idea of funding a musical. I completely agree with him. Something seems to have been lost. Some sense of governance, some sense of proportionality, some sense of what is right and wrong, you know, and that's where the issue has has really broken down. And can you put, can you have, have you any insight into what caused that or when it happened? Because there seems to be a general consensus that senior management in the organisation lost its way, but it's very hard to point and say, and there's the point where it occurred. Can I tell you an anecdote that may help you understand this? Look, a wise man once said, everybody can, can, can resist everything except temptation, okay? So the sad story of the Marty Morrissey story is just incredible. Five years having a car. I was once managing director of a company in which a person came, I got a phone call from a, a car company to say one of the contractors had a car and he'd like it returned. So I brought the contractor in. I said, look, you've got a car. You've got to give it back to uh, the car company. And by the way, you didn't tell me about it. And he said to me, I can't. And I said, well, you have to. And he says, actually, I can't. And I said, well, you have to. And he said, I really can't. I've given it to my mother. 
So people who are given cars do really strange things. And it's um, management have to guide them and educate it around the governance around these issues. So it's sad what has happened with Marty. He shouldn't have done it. There's, there's tax implications. But you put people in these positions and you'd be surprised how temptation takes over. And explain to me with the the commercial side of things, because people, and again, you mentioned people on social media, people look at this and say, look, if I'm an advertiser and I want to get access to a certain demographic and a certain set of eyeballs, what difference does it make to me if RTE have taken me to a rugby match, put booze in me and handed me flip-flops? It makes no difference to the commercial deal, so why does it have to happen? Do you take airline flights? I do. You do. Well, there's a book in the airport you should buy. It's a really good seller. It's called What They Don't Teach You in Business School, sorry, in Harvard Business School, and it's written by the great Mark McCormick. And in it, he talks about how, about the art of, of marketing and about the art of bringing people together. And what's really interesting about the, his book is that a lot of it is conducted in offices and on phones, but a lot of it is conducted on the golf course, over meals, over drinks, bringing people away. So there's a little read and an insight into how business is done. Business people maybe are sometimes unwilling to own up to this side of their business. They want it all to see like we met, we had a meeting, we discussed it, we signed the contract. But actually, there's a wheeler dealer, a kind of barrel boy uh, element of all business. And Anton, that is there. People need to just understand and accept it. But also, there has to be a moral aspect to it as well. In other words, at what stage are you playing this for your own personal gain? And if you're doing that, you're abusing something. My mantra to all people in commercial is, in commercial, you are in a responsible and a privileged position. Respect that privilege. Now, how do you square that, Willie, in the public mind with the public service remit? Because whatever about if you are a commercial entity and you feel that, that this is the way that it is needed to do business, but the squaring of license fee revenue with that style of business, they're, they're very uncomfortable bedfellows, I would have thought. Completely agree with you. They are very uncomfortable bedfellows. The BBC does it by separating them completely. And I visited the BBC in my time to see how it was done. We took a look at it in RT. We felt the costs and everything were very difficult and decided not to do it. But there is a company inside RT called RTE Commercial Enterprises Limited, in which it houses some of those commercial aspects. But it doesn't include uh, radio advertising and television. I think they're going to have to look at that. I think you're going to see as part of the new governance structure, they may look for a separate board for all commercial bits and then a public service board as well. Can we talk a little bit about the incoming Director General? Because he has engaged with media today and he has indicated that he's going to talk to the people on the executive board who are going to be, one assumes, the casualties of the reforming of um, that senior management team and that he's going to announce that on Monday. The individual himself, you would have worked with him during his period because he was a long time as head of, of News and Current Affairs in RTE. He was Deputy Director General. He was six months as Interim Director General. What can we expect of him? Uh, well, first of all, he's a really good guy, right? They might say he's officer class. He's smart. He knows things. He's good with people. He listens and then he makes a decision. They're really good qualities to have. And he also is really happy to talk and meet people. I understand, and I think it's documented on social media, he's quite a good friend of Marty Morrissey and has been down to County Clare. So, you know, he goes out and he meets people. So I think he, he's a good guy. 
Uh, he's got a lot of experience because he worked with the BBC, but he also worked with the UK regulator who are called Ofcom. So that will stand in his stead. This will be a difficult start for him, but I know in his time as head of news, he was very well respected by Leo Vradker. I know it was said to me at the time, and other politicians. That doesn't mean they liked what the RT newsroom said, but they felt they got a fair chance, uh, a fair, fair crack at the whip, if that's the right phrase. So I think that's those things are going to be in his stead, that he's not coming in here unknown to the leaders of the political party. They dealt with him for, for, for many years, and I think that has to be good. Not, 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 notwithstanding all that, it's going to be uphill. Can I ask you one final question in relation to the future of RTE? If you look at uh, the recent directors general, Cahill Gowan would have been one of the people who was instrumental in the creation of the journalism guidelines that the then RTE authority, subsequently RTE board, inculcated across the organisation and became the BAI guidelines. Um, Noel Curran was a former News and Current Affairs producer. He was the producer of Primetime. We now have Kevin Backhurst, who is a former producer of the 9 o'clock news, the 10 o'clock news and BBC, uh, Ofcom, as you said, and also of the BBC News Channel. Should it be a requirement that the most senior journalist in RTE have a journalism background? Uh, well, possibly, but to, to develop what you're saying, the core thing that RT does is its news division. It's 60 million of the 300 million. It's huge as part of it. And it's the part that the politicians like. They like it because it brings debate. It gets their pictures on television, et cetera, et cetera. So they all want that. And that is the core public sector offering. But you can't fill two radio stations and two TV stations with uh, with news only because nobody will watch it and also people want sport and entertainment and it's generally in those areas notwithstanding uh, some so, some previous issues where 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 things get tripped up because they are commercial in their nature they require people to go out and actively sell them which the news division doesn't do so I think you're always going to have a mix. The BBC has, as I said, between its license funded and then its international section, which is hugely commercial. Uh, anybody who logs on to the BBC app in Ireland will know they have to give consent and they may get ads within the BBC app in the Republic of Ireland. So don't mistake it. They're commercial, but they deal with it in a different way. Willie, thank you. That's Willie O'Reilly, who is former commercial director in RT and, of course, before that, chief executive of Today FM and series producer for The Jerry Ryan Show. I'm joined uh, from uh, Virgin Media, where he is the host of Ireland AM and, of course, previously TV3, uh, Alan Hughes. Alan, of course, one of the most successful runners of a pantomime in Ireland, more than two decades of success with the panto. And the reason he's talking to us is about RT, uh, the late, late toy show, the musical. Alan, can we start with some of the decisions around this that have been revealed? Because the expenditures in this is huge. The convention centre is, as far as I know, the single most expensive venue or nigh on the single most expensive venue in the country. Is it where you stay, Japanto? Well, certainly, obviously not, Anton. And good, uh, good evening to you. Um, Anton, we looked at a number of places after the Tivoli was knocked down where to, to try and stage our panto. And just out of sheer, like, iron, pig iron to go, and we went to the convention centre. I took one look at it, we got the prices, and we went, well, that's us ruled out. Because it is one of the most expensive places. And it's not a theatre. It doesn't look like a theatre. It's never going to feel like a theatre. And for to have the maybe the naivety or the arrogance to think that I'll go in there, put on a show that has no 
world track record and we're going to get an 80% occupancy at least. I thought that's pure arrogance or naivety on somebody's part who actually started that whole campaign to go for this show and put it on there because it was obviously the wrong venue and it just didn't work at all for them. Talk to me about that occupancy rate, 80% for a new show. Well, I mean, who, who in their right mind would buy that? Because I'm a producer. Like, 25 years we've been doing Pantos. So our 25th year in the National Stadium this year, we haven't always been in the National Stadium, but this year the National Stadium will be our 25th anniversary. And if you told me, Alan, you're going to get 80% occupancy for your 25th anniversary this year, I would be jumping over the moon going, that's brilliant, we're going to have a big success. For a show that has never been tried, had no star, well, their star, maybe they thought Ryan was going to be the star, but the star didn't show up. And then to actually to say, oh, yeah, 80%, we're going to get 80%. And obviously that figure was put in front of people at a board, at somewhere to sign this off and go, look at the money we can make. And did nobody question to sort of say, well, this hasn't been tried anywhere. These are all new, not, not songs that anyone knows. This is a story that nobody knows. Is 80% a bit excessive? Should we not even try and bring that back down to 60% and maybe cut costs that way. I mean, someone was pl- someone was not um, at the at the at the game when they were when they were doing that type of thing because 80% occupancy would never. I can't see it ever happening on a, on a new on a new show that nobody knew about. And yeah, oh, they get over a million people watching the Late Late Toy Show, but that's a totally different thing. And as it turned out, it was, and people just weren't interested in it. Now, Alan, I don't want to to impinge on commercially sensitive numbers around the kind of <laughs> of revenues of your panto. But give me your analysis of the 2.2 figure because one of the things, I don't think anybody can be blamed for taking a shot that misses. You, I mean, if you look at Moida Hardy, the no, former chairman no, of RTE, no, get, no. she's had her own but, issues. You know, near, look at, yeah, no, Anton, look, the commercial officer, What the one thing that struck me yesterday, the commercial officer of RTE saying, that they weren't in competition with other shows or other pantos. They were going for the big Broadway-style show anybody saw that show, that wasn't a big Broadway-style extravaganza. By, by no means was it. So I can't see where that money went in that respect. And for them to say and have the, the audacity to say that they weren't in competition with the might of RTE spending power to come out and sort of say that, like, Pantos and shows around the country had just come out of two years of COVID. Last year was our first chance to have a stab at getting an audience back and do a full run again. And then RTE announced this. And then they've the, the audacity to say, oh, but we weren't in competition. We were going for the bigger guys. Let me put it to you this way. If one of your Pantos, touch wood that it doesn't occur, but if one of your Pantos went completely belly up, would you be left holding a bag with 2.2 million written on it? No, by no means. And you couldn't. I mean, myself and Carl, we're small independent producers who stage a panto every year. We could not. That's why when we sort of said we went into the convention centre, we had to walk away from that. Most people would have to walk away from that when they saw the prices. But then somebody in RT went, well, it's not our money, so we'll go for it anyway. We'll get an 80% return on it. We'll get 80% occupancy and it'll all be grand and we'll be fabulous. I think they thought they were going to do, like Moya Doherty was on that board, remember. She signed off on this as well. So did they all expect this was going to be another river dance? It was Toy Show the Musical that was going to turn into this massive success that we keep running for years and maybe tours or something like that. Somebody, there's some, something went 
like totally wrong. Nobody, I don't think, sat down and looked at this logistically and sort of said, look, at the convention centre is the wrong place. Why don't we scale it down? Maybe bring it around the country. Bring it to the INEC in Killarney. Bring it to the town hall in Galway. Bring it around to the people. That's Ortiz remit to get around the country. So, like... I just don't understand the logic behind what they tried to do. And it just, to me, was baffling. And when I saw those figures, even the rehearsal space, most shows like us, we rehearse in school halls or sports halls where it, it doesn't cost. When I saw the rehearsal, the fee for the rehearsal, I was going, are they getting three course meals with this every day? Because like things like that were just way off kilter for what I, I could see. You know, like it's just, it just looked like it's not our money. Let's go out and spend it and, and, and just make it, make it huge. And okay. it just wasn't and it didn't work. Alan, thank you very much for your time this evening. That's Alan Hughes, who is, of course, pantomime producer. You will know him better, uh, those of you who, who aren't regular pantomime attendees, although over the 25 years he's had a lot of them uh, host from Ireland AM. We will be. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.